You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Forest. I'm your host, Kimmy Lemon Tedebro. Thank you guys for kind of sticking with me. I know I haven't recorded in, a, in about a week. I have been traveling. I was obviously covering the Georgia Tech and the Duke games. And I'm not going to talk about Georgia Tech or NC State on this one. I made it a little bit of the state, but I'm not going to go too deep into it. Um, been kind of all around the world for a little bit. Finally back home here. I had a couple of people ask me if I was going to... You know, cover a lot of that baseball in this considering you know baseball is the number one team in the country right now recent polls season starts up on friday super excited about that my answer right now is not really i want to i want to kind of leave baseball to the people that cover it the most uh, i think with football and, and basketball there's enough one sources that i have on either on both those teams and two just the ability of like my knowledge that i have of those two sports versus baseball which is a sport i've always liked but you know, ins and outs of it are just not you know my forte um, i'm going to try and see you know if i can bring people on weekly bi-weekly to kind of wrap up what went on with baseball that past week and i think that might end up being what i end up doing but me personally it's just it's Jack of all trades, master of none. I'm not really someone that is, I think, qualified to necessarily talk about that from for loads on end. And so I want to make sure that team gets, you know, it's fair due and it gets the coverage it deserves. And you're the number one team in the nation. You're trying to repeat what last year's team was. And last year's team was very special. And I think you have a lot. I think you arguably have more talent on this one. You know, chemistry is going to be a very interesting thing with this team. I think the bullpen is going to be a touch and go for a bit. I like I like the addition of Falco, but I mean you're not going to have Cole Rowland for a bit. You've got a couple of guys banged up uh, that you know your base isn't going to be back until ACC play. It's going to be a lot of young guns in the in the in the bullpen. I've heard they're they're really surprising some people, but never really know what happens until you actually get out there and play. So, but I think you know by the lineups looks filthy weekend rotation is just insane I, I don't know if there's ever been a better one in college baseball granted again I don't really cover it but really hard for me to figure there's been a better rotation than what Wake is going to put out for Friday Saturday Sunday but yeah so I, that's kind of my plans on on baseball sorry if that makes if that kind of upsets some people but I know I, I, do, I still do want to cover basically everything that I can but I also want to make sure those things get their their just due 
moving forward to my favorite conversation, the net. Uh, there has been more and more consternation about the net. And I always, and when I'm doing these now, I kind of, especially as we get closer and closer to March Madness, I wanted to kind of look around the horn and go, okay, where are these, where's Wake Forest in, in the numbers right now? So 37th in the net, you moved up two spots when you didn't even practice on Tuesday. Uh, Steve Forbes said after the loss to Duke on Monday that they would not practice on Tuesday, which fair because you had a Saturday game, you went live on Sunday and they played on Monday. It happens. You're 27th in Ken Palm, 29th in BPI, 44th in KPI, 31st in Torvik's T rank. I mean, that your metrics are, are very, very good. They're better than most teams on the bubble, if not any team on the bubble. Like your, your predictive metrics are very, very good. And I remember I kind of called out a little bit of the discourse that I saw after a couple of the road losses and it was after the pit loss. And it's kind of started creeping back up here after the loss to Duke, which, you know, that was a great to have. Doesn't really impact your season. All the path has always been the path. I think there, I think Wake Forest is a wounded fan base. I think there, this is a fan base that has gone through some very, very dark times. It has not been fun to be a Wake Forest fan, especially basketball for the last decade plus. It's, it's just it's just sucked. Call it spade a spade, it sucked. But I said it then and I'll say it again here. I, if you want to be irrational and be upset, that's fine. Lead in with that. I'm not going to sit here and be a cheerleader and be like, everything's fine, everything's perfect, because I don't think everything is perfect. I think this team has some flaws to it, especially with, you know, with the injuries that it has to it. But this has been a team that has essentially adhere to every single metric as what it said about them. They are 14 and one as, as, as a betting and metrics favorite one and one and seven as a underdog and one and oh as a, as a push. That was Miami. You know, Torvik at the time of this recording had it at about a little over a 71% chance of Wake Forest making the tournament. When you looked at, you know, what Torvik and what, Kenny Palm, Kenny Palm says about you know, the last seven games of the season, at the very least, Wake Forest will be favored in five out of those seven games. Ken Palm has it at six. Um, it's kind of a funky thing there. Virginia Tech's up on Torvik, a point seven point favorite against Wake Forest. If you adhere to what the metrics are telling, are if essentially if Wake Forest does what the metrics have told them until that game, I would assume that one probably flips to being Wake Forest being a favorite. They're about two point one to two point underdogs against Virginia. I'll get to my thoughts on what I think that line should be when I when we get when we get to that part of the segment. I mean, yeah, like if you're five and two, you you're in the turn. Like you are five and two in that in that situation because you have a win over a Q one win over Duke, a quad one win. Maybe quad two, depending on what Clemson does. Who knows with Clemson? You know, they're beating Miami right now. Uh, they beat Miami right now. Uh, and, you know, I think they'll, even if they aren't a Q1 win, they're a, t- they're a team that's solidly in a tournament. I think a win over Clemson has more weight than a win over UVA or VT, for example. I think it especially has weight over, like, over a row against VT. Like, that is, we get through this entire thing of saying, hey, we need Q1 wins. And I think they're important. You need to have, 
want to definitely need to have a couple, probably two. That's that's probably the, the bare minimum you need. But there's a reason why the committee combines Q1 and Q2, because there's an understanding that Q2 games can be harder than Q1 games. Um, I think it was Dadgum box scores pulled the numbers a little bit ago. I think it was like 53 to 54% of Q4 of Q2 games are harder than Q1 games. Um, that's, you know, shouldn't be surprising. Like if Clemson ends up being 32nd, 33rd in the net, they're still probably going to be a harder game at home than going to say, I don't know, Clemson. Let me see, going to Virginia Tech. Like that's, like I think Virginia Tech's a solid team. I don't think they're going to be a, a tournament team, but Clemson is a, a team that is solidly in the tournament. If they end up being a Q2 just because they're two spots away, they're going to be as hard, if not harder, than you know, Virginia Tech on the road, who's kind of fighting for their lives right now. The problem I have with the net is just like, it tries to do too many things at once. It wants to be both predictive and descriptive. It wants to be predictive and say that it's a, it's, you know, it's a, it's a power rating. Like this is what's like, I think this is what's going to happen. And this kind of got brought up because someone I mentioned on the boards, because someone said that Syracuse only went up. I think it was six spots after beating UNC by 80, uh, UNC uh, at home. And it's just because the net tries to do too many things. Like it tries to be predictive and be a power rating and say, you know, it's all about the efficiency, which is kind of why you, Syracuse didn't move up a ton was because even though they were an eight, eight and a half, one underdog in that game, they defense was kind of their calling card and they still gave up basically 80 to UNC. Um, and yeah, they've only put, they put up almost 90, but yeah, I, I think the amount of boost the offense got was a little bit negated by the boost the defense got. That's why I said uh, a couple weeks ago, well, we could go win Wake Forest was beating the hell out of Syracuse and Georgia Tech. I don't necessarily think it was just the, it's not the margin of victory. Like it's not just you beat a team by 29. It's how you beat them. If you're a team that's a very, very offensive minded team and you beat a team 119 to, well, I'll, just, I'll, I'll make my life easier, 109 to 80, you're probably not going to move up a ton in the rankings because you did essentially what your metrics are saying you should do in terms of you were really really efficient offense defense still gave up a ton of points they get a, they got enough stops to obviously have you up 29 but you know it it felt more the offense that the work there now you put that where you know wake hell of syracuse to 70 points and hell of georgia tech to 51 and that's why the why Wake Forest shot up was because defense was kind of the thing lagging behind Wake Forest defense in terms of the metrics of haven't been bad by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, all of a sudden they went from a top 60, top 70 defense to four, like top 45, top 40 defense. And that's, that's where that jump kind of came from was because of the efficiency on that side. So that's one of the things that the net tries to do in terms of being predictive and saying these efficiencies matter but then it tries to also be descriptive and it tries to force these quadrants of q1 and q2 down your throats and q and it's like well th these are supposed to be the important games and like i said like if 53 to 54 percent of the q2 games are harder than q1 why are you using this arbitrary metric 
of saying, you know, this is what's going to be important to you. And that's why the committee just combines them. It was a little bit of inside baseball, and it made a lot of sense, I guess, to me when Forbes said it on his radio show tonight, that he doesn't try to schedule Q3 games. They're the worst games to schedule. And when I looked, when I looked at Wick's schedule this year and I go, it makes sense. So if you look at some, some of the Q3 games from Wake, it's Towson, Rutgers, Syracuse, Georgia Tech, NC State. And then Notre Dame and Georgia Tech will also be Q3s as well. I mean, it took you absolutely kicking the crap out of them in terms of like one side of the ball to really move up. And that was in Syracuse and Georgia Tech. You beat NC State by four. And NC State probably should not be a, Q, a Q3 team. It's by, what, they're 80th in the in the net. They're five spots away from being a, a Q2 game. But because they're in that Q3 sort of area, you know, the only way you really can do anything here is by beating up, just beating the hell out of them. But they're not bad enough for you to beat the hell out of. Like, I think Syracuse and Georgia Tech, I, I think Syracuse is probably a better win than I, I gave it credit for. They probably shouldn't be Q3 either. But, like, Rutgers. Like, Rutgers now finally got their, their team back, and they're a better team than I think what the metrics are giving them credit for. But, like, it... It's it's hard to run up the score on those types of teams because they're usually a lot better than you think. And they're not these Q4s like Delaware State or NJIT or Presbyterian. And they're not these awful teams. They're usually pretty like fine teams that might you know, have either just be inconsistent or just be missing players for a while. They're the worst types of games to schedule because if if you get end up getting beat by NC State, you know, who's a they're not the best team, but they just don't ever go away against anybody, you're screwed. And so, yeah, so apparently, like, teams just don't like scheduling Q3. That's the worst quadrant to be in. But to the point about the net, it's just, it tries to do too many things. It tries, it wants to be both descriptive and it wants to be both predictive. And you can't do that. You can't reward, you can't say that there's such things as bad losses and then also try to say, hey, this is the specific quadrant you need to you need to win in. That that doesn't work. Like it needs to be kind of a one one or another sort of thing. Either be a power rating and you know release what your power ratings are, or be a resume rating and say, hey, you've beaten X, Y, and Z teams. Here's how that here's how that looks. You can't you can't do both at the same time. And that's I think the biggest fail of the net is it wants to be something we can use for everything. And it's that's just not possible in today's day and age. When it comes to wake, if you're five, if you go five and two, you're you're good. You go four and three, depending on how I, I don't even know if there's a great situation for you to go to four and three in. I assume that four and three is if you lose to Pitt, Clemson, UV. If you lose the Pitt, Virginia Tech, and UVA. I think that's a four and three that you still get because you still have two wins over turn. You still have two Q1 wins over tournament teams. And I think that's important. And you would have avoided two bad losses because while I don't think Virginia Tech is a tournament team, they're not a bad loss in the slightest. Even if they go down Q2, that's not going to be a bad loss. Virginia, while they're a tournament, that's a tournament team. If you lose that, eh, fine. But two very, very in teams and Duke and Clemson, you know, winning those two, 
and then you avoid bad losses because that's been the strength of your entire of your entire like resume this year has been your metrics have been very very end up being very very good and you haven't had any bad losses. LSU is one that could get down to a bat to a Q3 loss and you know, you'd like to have both the Q3 and Q4s be completely clean. You can kind of afford a Q3 depending on the situation. Can't have a Q4. Just can't do it. Pretty much dead if you have one. Unless you just have a substantial resume everywhere else. You know, LSU is about is, is about to go to the grinder. Uh, they get South Carolina on Saturday, Kentucky, and then Mississippi State before having three Q3s and a Q2. Hold on for hold on for dear life, baby. Hold hold on. <laughs> That's all you got to hope for them is, hey, maybe they get a win over South Carolina. Auburn is beating the hell out of them, and I think that's one of the biggest things that I don't that I I don't like about the net. I'm sitting here watching Auburn, South Carolina, and when I look at this, you know, it's number eleven South Carolina, and you know Auburn's obviously very very good. South Carolina is treated as like this is a Q two game for Auburn. Like a, a a team that is twenty one and three, you know three and two in Q one. They have a Q three loss, which isn't fantastic, but they're twenty one three in a pretty solid pretty solid conference. I think I don't think the SC is spectacular. I think it's a little bit. I think it's pretty overrated. But I think there have been some. I think Kentucky, when healthy, is a very good team. I think Tennessee is a is a solid team. I think Georgia is a is a fine team. Like they have wins over they have wins over those those teams. They have a win against Old Miss. They have a win against Virginia Tech. They have a win against Grand Canyon, who's been beating everybody. That's, I think that's a solid win. You know, their only losses are to Clemson, at Clemson, in Tuscaloosa, and they lost to, they lost to UGA. And, I, and there's no shame in losing UGA. They've beaten just about everyone on their schedule, like, but yet they're treated the same as... Like this, this team is the team, and they're a consensus five seed. You open up bracket matrix right now; they are a consensus five seed. But yet, they're treated the same way as what if Miami came into and, my, and Miami's not in the tournament in the slightest. Miami probably needs to win out or win the AC tournament to make the tournament. They're treated the same as Ohio State, who is nowhere near the bubble. They're treated the same as you know Providence and Xavier. Like, like that's what I don't like about that about this sort of stuff is you have a team that has just been obscene, but because they didn't game the metrics, right. They're not a key. They're not a quote unquote, like Q one win, but that's, that's dumb to me. That's dumb. We're going to, in a couple of years, we'll, we'll find a new metric besides the net. It was the same thing with, with VPI. We'll find a new metric and we'll be, we'll be cool. could be complaining about that. Who knows? Maybe it'll be a better metric. There's not really too much to say about the Duke game. I mean, you did everything you couldn't do. You went 11 for 23 layups. You went 6 for 26 on threes. I, you know, just kind of looking through the the nitty-gritty here, you, allow, you, you got an 18.8 free throw rate on offense. That is your third lowest mark of the year, followed uh, – closely by Virginia, 14%. But Virginia, quote-unquote, doesn't foul. You know, that, that never happens, apparently. That, I love that running joke. And then 10% against Utah, which I didn't really remember. You didn't really get to the free throw line against Utah, but makes sense. 
You didn't get the, to the free throw. So you couldn't make layups. You didn't make it to the free throw line. And you didn't, you couldn't make threes on offense. That is a horrible thing. <laughs> and then on defense, you know, you, you played the three ball pretty well against Duke. But the twos, and we'll get to why in a second, 19 for 30 on, on twos. Most of them were in the second half. She gave up almost 50 in the second half. And your free throw rate was 45.5%. That is, once again, your third highest mark all year. Uh, the other two are Florida State, 54.5, and North Carolina State on the road, 61.1. Good God. I mean, it, it, it comes down to, the defense comes down to the fouls, and I'll start there. I mean, you had Efton Reed in foul trouble, bar- barely played. Um, and you had Andrew Carr in the second half getting the, Quick foul trouble, and I thought that was kind of, I thought that was awful. But the action stuff is, I mean, it's been kind of a recurring thing. Second strength game, he's gotten two quick fouls. You know, Steve Forbes was asked about that on his radio show tonight, and I ended up transcribing his answer to that, quote unquote. I got after him pretty hard after the game. First time ever. I just felt like he let us down. It's one thing to foul, another for silly fouls. He'll get some crazy calls. I get it. When he was on the court, they couldn't guard him. And they were getting to the rim in the second half because he wasn't on the court and then Angie wasn't on the court. Who could really survive that? If you took P.J. Hall and Shefflin off the court, what does that do to Clemson? He's got to change. He's got to quit committing silly fouls. And maybe I have to rethink. I've always played a guy with two fouls in the first. I think it hardly ever happens. You get your third. He seems to get his third and fourth. The numbers kind of support, not kind of, the numbers do support Steve in terms of, I understand why some teams, some coaches, it's, it's a coach by coach basis, but I understand why some coaches don't put guys in when they have that second foul. The numbers support that it's usually it's pretty unlikely that a guy does get his third foul. So, and it's fine to put him back in, but I mean, it's it's kind of right here in terms of you know whether or not that's your strategy. It's fine, but and you know I thought a couple of the calls against Sefton weren't weren't great. I thought that fourth one was was not <laughs> that fourth one just wasn't a foul. It was in a trap, and I, I understand. You know, you don't foul in the trap, and they had Filipowski almost turning the ball over. But hey, Filipowski got to throw his head back and get shot. The fifth one also just was on Parker. Like, it just was not on Efton. Like, I don't understand why I had the same view, view line as the ref, because I know the ref under the basket called it, but the, but TV Teddy close to me called it as well. And I don't understand how Teddy didn't see Parker, like, swipe him. And when you look at the replays... And you look at it from the from underneath the basket, you can see Parker swipe him. So I'm just not really sure how either of them didn't see that. I think Steve said that, you know, Parker needs to go up to the ref more and say, hey, that was on me. That got to be cognizant of, of that situation because Steve, where Steve was, he couldn't see what had happened. Um, you know, that is something I think Parker does have to do, but it's not, I'm not going to sit here and rag on him about that. He's a freshman, he'll learn. But yeah, I mean, it's, Efton's got to, Efton's got to, something's got to change, whether it's Efton using his body differently or just not playing him after two fouls. Um, that was a situation. And I, I agree. Like, Filipowski wanted absolutely nothing to do with Efton Reed on the offensive side of the, of the ball. If they tried to double him and Efton passed out of it, you know, and it led to assists. Like, I think I pulled, I pulled the numbers a couple days, uh, not a couple, yeah, a couple days ago. And I think it was like every time Efton had touched the ball, yeah, I think it was like, 14 points total like that's a you can't like the dude played 15 minutes and he had eight points and three assists like 
the dude's averaging almost a point per minute when he just when he just touches the ball. He had missed, he missed a couple shots, but they really could not do anything about Efton being on the court except put him on the bench. I mean, Efton, it, it's that's your entire resume. Is your team is pretty different with Efton Reed on on the on the court? And defensively, you missed him. You missed, you know, Andrew Carr. Damari is not really healthy and he's playing the four and you know, played the most minutes he's played in a year. It's tough. I thought, I mean, and then you have the guards just, you know, Boopy and Cam just did not have good games. Boopy got benched. He got flat out benched for Parker. Parker played well in his minutes and, you know, Cam, you could just see was a little, was just frustrated. Like it was very noticeable how frustrated he was and just how he was playing. It goes, I, I've said it before, I've said it once, twice, said it a million times. They cannot afford both of them to be bad at the same time offensively. You can you can afford one of them because Parker can absorb 20, he can play 23, 24 minutes and be just fine. Like that's, he he looked like he knew what he, not knew what he was doing, but he looked like he wasn't a deer in the headlights in his first ever game in Cameron Indoor. That's a positive, That that is something to to build upon. I'm not exactly on the point to starting Parker because I think he needs to. The thing is, I, I I love Parker. He's he's a great shooter. You know, he plays. He's a he's a net zero defender. Like he's pesky. He's gonna get burned a few times, but he's gonna get some gonna get some steals. You know, he's he's playable in that. He's playable in that end. I I don't I don't see him creating right now, and you know that's something he's got to grow into is being a creator. He's been more of a kind of a spot up shooter. Come off screens. You know, he's got to be a threat to put the ball on the floor and get to the hoop. And like, if he's going, if he's going to take a spot from one of Poop or Cam, like that's that's kind of his next step. And I'm like, if he does end up like next year, that's probably going to be the thing he works on. Is okay, I've got to figure out how to get you off the drive because I I'm tr- I trust him being a spot up shooter from three. I trust him shooting from the mid range. To be quite honest, because I think he can just shoot. I got to trust that you're going to be able to get to the basket. Like that's one thing, especially just in terms of strength and just a skill set right now, I don't think is already is is there. So that's that's my hesitation in terms of starting because you just you gotta have that. And especially in a game against UVA that's coming up, you've got to have people that can that can move the ball and, and have be at least a threat to get to get inside. But yeah, like both those both Cam and Boop can't be they they can't be the worst two players on the court. You can replace one with Parker, but you don't have a second. Atuka is done for the season, taking that red shirt. Aaron Clark, I mean, I don't really know what he offers you right now. Like, he's not as good of a defender as Cam. He's net negative on offense. Like, I don't really know what Aaron Clark does besides you just saying, I want to see someone differently. Bramo hasn't really shown anything on either side of the ball. You know, limited minutes, yada yada yada. But again, it doesn't. If he's if they're not going to be as good a defenders as Cam, and they're not going to be a plus on offense, and I don't think anyone, unless they're just being upset, is going to say that those two are going to offer better offense. Besides, just you know, just passing it and just saying, okay, cool, like you have the ball, okay, move it, move on somewhere else. That's not like you're not doing anything. They'll just play four on five. But Duke did it on Monday. Duke basically said, oh, Matthew March is out there. I don't care about that, dude. Screw it. Like teams would just play four on five, and so you're not going. You can't play either of those two right now in ACC play. Like, like 
that's people short in their rotations for a reason. Some people just aren't ready that year. And you don't have Damari. And I think that's kind of been your biggest thing is Damari is supposed to be a three. But right now he's playing a backup four. I, th- I think that the plan going to the year was Damari was supposed to be a three that could swing to the four if they if they needed to, whether it's by strategy or, you know, Andrew Carr gets in foul trouble or just something happens there. The amount of teams that they can't play him at the three against are just too high right now because he, he doesn't have the mobility right now because of his knee to be able to guard at that position. He's been a, he's been a better defender at the four, and I, I I thought that his defense has been solid on on Monday, but he just doesn't have it right now to defend threes against most teams, especially at Duke, and so you can't really put two of them on the bench. Can't put both Cam and, and Boop on the bench. You can put one of them on the bench, but you can't you can't do both. And I think that's something that's that's really, really hurting them is that they had a plan to have guard death, and then one of them blew out his knee and the other one had a setback and just hasn't recovered from it in, enough to be a, to be someone that he can move around. And that's and I think that's gonna be, you know, if unless Damari can get a little more healthy and a little more healthy, you know, you're hopeful that going into the ACC tournament that you know having some more time off helps them with that but we'll see I I I don't really I didn't really have a I wasn't angry after the Duke game I wasn't upset it was just that hey it was would have been nice to have but you had some opportunities and ultimately you know you did everything you couldn't do you were it you were within four basically the entire game at the end of the game, you had two shots with with arguably your best shooter. They didn't go in. Them's the breaks. Get him at home. I think you. I think your chances of beating him at home are a lot better than I think people are giving credit for right now. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Moving on to the UVA game coming up on Saturday, we've got a noon tip. We always love these noon tips. McForest has already played Virginia once before, beat them 66 to 47 in a game that felt a lot worse than that, honestly. I got I don't remember it being 19, and then I went back and watched it. And I was like, that should have been more than 19. Uh, Hunter had 21, 9, and 2. Cam didn't have a great shooting night, but it was pretty very, very good defensively. I thought he was a very, very good defender. Uh, Boop didn't have the best first half, but then ended up having a very, very, very good second half. Carr had 12 and 12, and it was just like, Carr was kind of just out there, and just kind of garbage his way in a 12 and 12. Love that. Efton had nine and eight with five blocks. Jesus. 
UVA doesn't have size. Uh, they do not have size. And I, I, I hate saying they don't have athleticism because there are a bunch of D1 athletes at, on, a, on a power conference. But the athleticism disparity between them and a bunch of other teams in this conference is just just massive. It, it is. And I think that's something that plays in the Wake Forest's hands in this game. Because I, I think Wake knows how to defend them. Obviously, UVA, underneath Tony Bennett, hasn't been an offensive juggernaut. But UVA is essentially Wake Forest football, is essentially San Fran football. There are teams in both sports that are built to play, that are that are better equipped. I won't say built, but they are better equipped to play with the lead than they are behind. Now, no one ever wants to play from behind because, you know, why would you ever want to be losing? But there are just certain styles that lend themselves to be not kind of kind of worse when they're up because they end up having to do some different things. But it, there are certain styles that, that allow people to be better when they're down. And I think Wake Forest basketball is a team that is a little bit, you know, better when they're down because it's just more free-flowing offense. You know, the defense can be here or there, you know, it's 40, 40th, 43rd in the country. But the defense can can start speeding things up a bit and really turn the tide of the game. UVA is kind of the opposite of they want to be ahead and they want to make this a mucking crime. They don't they know they don't really have the shooting to be to come back from a you know 10, 12 point deficit. They don't play fast enough to do that. They want to be ahead and they want you to make mistakes and and say, hey, look, man, we're trying to like just ease back into this game. Nope. Pack line defense can't get to the rim. Better make your shots from outside. You know, their last starting lineup. On, so after after that game against Wake, they went on a tear. They they went from being a team that was the worst road team in the country to winning games on the road against Georgia Tech, Louisville, and Clemson and Florida State. You know they won eight games in a row before losing to Pitt on Tuesday. Uh, Pitt was kind of unconscious, but I also thought Pitt did exactly what you needed to do against them, which was. Just don't turn it over. Like, and Wake turned over 17 times. Most of them were just the bigs getting trapped. And a couple times, Parker just stepped out of bounds. That was dumb. But most of it was just kind of the bigs. It wasn't the guards really making bad passes or anything like that. They weren't letting them get in transition too much. Yeah, when they played Pitt on Tuesday, they went out there and started Beekman, McNeely, Dunn, Rody, and Miner. I don't really know what's going on with Jordan Miner right now to be quite honest uh, i thought he did a solid job against efton in that game i played 22 minutes in that game you know at nine and five but i thought defensively he did a pretty good job against efton he had street he had stretches of 26 against vt 24 against short tech 30 against state you know, 28 against notre dame 29 against clemson and then his minutes have just kind of started disappearing and it's 16 against a hyper athletic front of miami 12 against a different huge kind of front in, in pit and then eight against i mean in fsu and then eight against pit that's it i don't really i some of it has been defense like he has not been the best defender the last few games um it, it's been kind of kind of rough there but i mean they don't have size like they just they just don't have size you know they've played some some groves at the five and you know i went back and watched the game and 
Efton Reed had a very, very nice time. Every time Jacob Groves was on him, because he's just not a he's just not a center. He's just not. Um, even when they tried to double him, like Efton had a pretty fine time there. I think the biggest thing for this this UVA team is they just they just don't have like a wing. Like they don't. They, I I was looking at it. I was looking at the matchups because I wanted to see, you know, how you could play out play around with it. And you know, obviously it's Beekman and McNeely, and then they kind of like switch around Rody and Dunn of how you know who's kind of a three there. And they'll have uh left Groves kind of play a four. They'll have Tane Murray kind of come in as guard too. But they don't they just don't really have a three. I think that I that Leon Bond was kind of helping play that role with like a athletic wing for them. But I think he's just hit a freshman wall and we have not seen him in a few games. So I don't think we'll see him in this game to be gone honest. Like Bond wasn't great when he played against Wake either. Like he Wake essentially said, Hey Efton, go out there and just make sure he doesn't shoot threes. And he didn't shoot threes. <laughs> like he they basically just parked it against Dunn and said, I'm against Bond and said, You're we know you're not gonna shoot. And they've kind of operated a little bit of the same way against Ryan Dunn to a lesser extent. Like they they definitely guarded Dunn on on the three point line with Carr. But Dunn has one fewer attempted threes than they do games this year. They have they've played 24 games and he has 23 threes. Uh, threes attempted, not made. Attempted. Yeah. They don't really have a wing that that kind of scares you. And then kind of, that can that can stretch the floor, which was kind of interesting because I thought Wake's so a Wake open that game with Hunter on McNeely and then Cam on on Groves and then switched to Cam on McNeely in the second half. And then they had Hunter switch over to Groves in the second half. And it was like no one no one on UVA did anything. No. It, that team is the team just feels really constructed. And I think this is one of the reasons why I was like I think myself and a bunch of people were like, if UVA continues on this path, you know, being the second or third best team in the, in the ACC, you've got to give Tony Bennett coach of the year because this team is just it's constructed i don't want to say poorly constructed but it's just constructed just extremely weirdly the only guys you're really scared of scoring on you at a, at a high clip are you know mcneely groves and at beekman to an extent beekman is just going to put up some volume but beekman's not exactly an efficient score to say at least like he's averaging 14 and 3 like he's not going out there and dropping 20 on you every night like not a lot. There's not a lot of offense that scores you on this. That scares you on this UVA team. And so, like when Forbes this tonight said they they know how to defend them. I think they have a pretty solid idea of how to defend them. Not just because UVA doesn't score a ton of points, but because it, it felt like they knew what they wanted to do there, and it worked very well. Especially now that you don't have to worry about uh, another athletic guy in Bond. You know they're throwing out Blake Buchanan, they're throwing out Tane Murray, they're throwing out Dante Harrison. I, we we just really didn't care about any of those guys. They they put people on them, and they're just like, "You're not going to do anything." And they were right. This is a game I think you can mess around and put Damari at the three. You know, if if you have both Boop and Cam playing poorly, or even if not, and you want to experiment with some things, I think you can mess around and and play Damari at a three, just because you're not scared of 
athleticism ruining that knee of Damari this year. So I went, I wanted to see how they, I, I didn't actually get the plus minus because that was just a lot, but I wanted to see how they matched up against certain lineups. And there was a lineup that UVA threw out of Beekman, Brody, Groves, Bond, and Minor. And uh, Wake Hat Parker on Beekman. They put uh, Boop on Rody. They put Hunter on Groves. They put Zach Keller, what he was in, he it was spelling car at the time, but Zach Keller on Bond and they put Efton on Minor, obviously. I think you could mess around and put Hunter. I mean, you could put Hunter on either on keep him on, on Groves or Rody and then put Damari on probably Groves, I would say. Maybe Rody because Rody just isn't isn't that athletic as a, as a human. I think you could you could maybe hide Damari on one of them and and be just and be just fine and then have Keller Keller was already marking Bond and Efton already had minor. I think you're I think that might be able to work in this matchup. And then you can play inside out with your three best shooters right now. Four if you count Carr. You can play an inside out. You can have Efton Carr kind of be your point guards and just dish and dish it out to either Parker or Hunter or Damari for threes. And, you know, I think that, I think that might work. I think this might be an, an opportunity for you to experiment with some stuff that you might not be able to do in any other game, but it might be more beneficial in this. I mean, I don't want to come off as too overconfident with this game because, you know, God, Cole, Cole takes like it, it's an ACC game. Every game is going to be pretty highly contested. This is a game where I just kind of go, I, you match up extremely well here. You match up ex- extremely well. Yeah, you know, it looked like Wake knew what they wanted to do defensively against them, and I think they're going to execute, you know, a pretty similar plan. You know, obviously there will be some adjustments here and there from both Tony and, and Steve. But, you know, I... I, I don't really, unless Wake Forest goes out there and, I mean, again, they I can't even say if they go out there and turn it over 17 times to lose. They turned it over 17 times in this game and won by 19. Like, it's a, I think that, I think the types of turnovers matter. I think if you, if you let them get in transition and get a bunch of easy, easy buckets, that's one thing. You shot 47% from three, you know, I think that's fine. Hunter shot five for eight. Good Lord. But like no one else really shot extremely well from three like reed was one for one car was one for two boop was one for three cam was one for six parker was one for one like you like outside of hunter no one else really shot the ball well and hunter's been on a tear lately like hunter has been on a tear and i thought and i think that it's always fun to be like the best player on wake's team is going to be the x factor but the last few games from hunter Last five, you know, Pitt 22, 6, and 3, Syracuse 24, 3, and 5, uh, GT 10, 2, and 3. They didn't really need him to do much. Um, State 33, 6, and 2, and then Duke 22, 5, and 4. And he shot 28.6 from, from 3 against Pitt, 80% against Syracuse, 0 for 4 against GT, uh, 4 for 6 against State, and 2 for 5 against Duke. Like, and these are teams that are just more athletic than what this UVA team is. Like, go back and watch what was happening. They didn't have an answer for him. They just flat out did not have an answer for Hunter Salas in this game against DVA. Just didn't. And I don't, there's nothing's been added. I don't even things have only been taken away from this team. 
I don't really know what their answer is against against Hunter. Like they can't put Beekman on him. They're not going to put McNeely on him because if McNeely gets in foul trouble, that's it for them. Like that's that's one that's your best shooter. That's just gone. I don't. You can put Groves on him, but like I I don't know if Groves is really the best option for him. You're not. They put they put Bond on him and Bond gave up twenty one nine and two. <laughs> like we've already seen the story of what happens when Leon Bond is is guarding Salas. I thought it was also interesting how, how UVA decided Bond on Salas was going to be the right call, but then Wake was like, "Nah, you're getting you're getting Andrew Carr." So I thought that was always interesting. But yeah, I don't. I this is one where I and I, I thought your athleticism matches up with, with Duke. I thought I think Wake and Duke are pretty similar teams, and I think that played out by those teams being, excuse me, decently even. I don't. I. I think this is one Wake can kind of get away with just being better athletes than than UVA. Obviously, you need to play smart. You need to move the ball around. You got to go inside out. But this is one where I think the athleticism just kind of sticks out, and it's just like, hey, like, as long as you don't absolutely throw up on yourselves and miss every shot, looking at you, Miami. Like I, I know Miami is a, a very, very athletic team, but the second that Keyshawn George, Keyshawn George went down, that was it for that team. That was it. Ky, they had they Keyshawn George went, Keyshawn George was down, and then Wuka Poplar might be a point shaver at this point. That dude was three for twelve from the field on mostly open shots. You know, Miami's just struggled so much with with just having a healthy lineup and. Jesus, I forgot Nigel Pack was 0 for 8. <laughs> All you have to do is not shoot 28% from the field, and I think you'll be just fine. Because like, at UVA, it's, you know, if you hit 60 before them, I think you you win. Like, UVA doesn't really score all that often. So that's how I feel. I, I, I feel surprisingly confident on this game. I know that you're going to be about – Ken Palm has it at 1, Torbic has it at 2. Wouldn't be surprised to see a UVA minus 1.5, meet, meet it right, right there in the middle. I could honestly see this getting down to a pick as the after line opens, just because I think this is one matchup-wise where eventually the threes will just law, law of averages now. Like, I think we've gotten a lot of the regression from Wake shooting the absolute piss out of the ball against Syracuse. Um, you know, I think I think we've finally seeing that regression come come down to earth like i think you have syracuse and louisville as the two games of where those things are like are outliers and then you've had a game like duke where you've shot absolutely miserable from the three georgia tech and unc so i think that just in terms of the averages right now you are you're you're due and i don't i don't think you'll go out there and shoot 60 percent from three but i think Math says you should not be you should not be shooting twenty ish percent from three in another game, but we'll see. Thank you guys for listening so so much. I always enjoy you guys listening to this and all the support I get on these. And as always, go Deeks. <laughs>